Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in Miami with Pelicans point guard Lonzo Ball. Are you used to hearing that yet, Pelicans point guard? Um, not really. I want to hear it for the first time, you know, in our first game. But um, got a nice ring to it. Lonzo, the, this time of the year, we're, we're recording this, you know, a couple days here before the start of training camp. Uh, we're in Miami. You've got a place down here, and you're spending some time here before you go back to New Orleans to, to have media day start camp. Does your body start to, like, you start to feel like your body telling you, I'm re-, like, you, you have a clock in there that knows it's time to start playing, like you're building up through the summer. Do you, do you feel that going into your third year that, like, you just, your body reacts to the timing of this time of year. Uh, for sure, especially with me doing rehab pretty much all summer, trying to get right just for training camp. Um, it's good to finally be able to get cleared and you know be on the court the last two weeks full contact. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, got out to Miami for a couple of days just to get away for a little bit before you know the long season starts. The the open gyms you've been in New Orleans and you got a practice facility there that's been redone, and you've got a, a real interesting mix of you know. Obviously Zion Williamson, but some other rookies that are really interesting, really talented. Uh, the veterans who are there, guys like Drew Holiday, who's an all-star level player. And then the group of guys who came from the Lakers in the trade, you, you know, Josh Hart and, you know, that group coming in. What is open gym like when you got all these guys trying to, you got, you know, three first round picks, you got a few guys in the trade and then the returnees and then free agents. JJ Reddick comes in. As a free agent, what's like the open gym like? Is all these groups are starting to sort of get to know each other and figure out how you're going to be a team? Uh, that's exactly what it is. A bunch of guys coming together from you know different parts and trying to make the team, you know, um, work, rank it, click. And um, open gym teams always mixed up, but it always ends up being competitive because we got everything you need. In my opinion, you got the young guys, you got the vets, uh, a lot of talent, and a lot of people that like to work hard. When. The trade happened, and then Zion gets drafted. They New Orleans gets the number one pick. They're going to take Zion Williamson. The first thing everybody was talking about, one of them was Lonzo Ball to Zion in transition. Mm-hmm. What has it been like playing with him so far and seeing, kind of building a chemistry with him and seeing you know, the times you'll be able to play a two-man game with him a little bit, whether it's you know in the open court, certainly, or even in the half court? Yeah, I mean, he thrives in both, honestly. Um, pick and roll in the half court is amazing with him. You can hit him on a short roll. You don't have to wait for him to get all the way to the basket. And um, he's much more than a dunker. You know, he's a playmaker. I can give him the ball. He can take some dribbles and either take off or find a man in the corner. And then I've already thrown him some full-court lobs. Um, pretty much just got to put it anywhere where the backboard is, and he'll catch it. That's the thing with him, and, and I think what has – He's unlike anything most people have seen. There's never been a player exactly like him. And I think it maybe made it hard to project him in some ways. But the one thing constant they all talked about at Duke, and you saw it in the games and they said it was in the practices, was just his motor right. whenever he was on the floor. And, you know, you'd see in college he'd make up ground across court to close out, block a shot. Do, do you see that in, like, that open gym setting? Uh, for sure. I feel like whenever he touches the court um... – his instinct is just to play hard. I mean, no matter what, he might not make every shot, but he's always going to go out there and, you know, give it his all no matter what the setting is. You know, you talked about, you know, spending time rehabbing, getting healthy. You know, you fought injuries in your two years in the league. Anything different about how you've approached this offseason physically, diet, conditioning, um, things that maybe help, you know, might help stave off injury? Um, this summer for me, the biggest thing is probably diet. 
just because I couldn't really run. Um, as far as condition, I couldn't do too much other than like the bike or something. But um, I think diet played a big role in it. Got a chef, you know, and I'm uh, just trying to make, make sure I can last those 82 this year. What what was the pre-Pelicans diet like for you, like early in the NBA? Uh, just, man, regular food I used to eat back in Chino, you know, jack in the box, in and out, just regular stuff like that. And, and then, right, you know, New Orleans, like that's always the threat, like – a lot of restaurants. Mm-hmm. Does it help? Do you think to have a chef in that city? Because you can go out and uh, get off for that. Sure, for sure. I mean, right when I got there, all the vets was telling me, you know, make sure you get a chef. Uh, especially each one, he was telling me, you know, you can pick up a quick ten, fifteen out here. So, <laughs> coming into New Orleans with a big group that came as part of the trade, the bond that's there with you guys who went through the trade talks for you know mostly a year before the Davis trade happened. Is there a unique bond with your group? Because you went through a lot, and then you end up going to a new place to all start over together. Definitely, uh, especially with me and B.I. You know, we had a big role um, back in L.A., and to be able to come over here with him, you know, I was happy that, you know, he came with me. I know he's happy I'm with him. So um, I'm looking forward to see what we can do this year. You and Brandon, you know, your games, there's a feeling both may really, with the Alvin Gentry system, how you're going to play here, and then, you know, more prominent, you know, certainly growing in your career, having more prominent roles, that having him come here with you and having gone through all that, it's is it probably feel different than if you just got traded by yourself to a new team that you sort of walk in the gym with especially with Brandon? Yeah, for sure. I mean me and B I've been together the last two years. Um helps that we're friends off the court as well. So it's always nice when you get shipped somewhere and then you got somebody with you that you know and comfortable with. And um the only thing we haven't played together five on five yet. That's the only thing, but I mean you know, it's great having him in the gym. You know, I know what he's about. He knows what I'm about. And uh, we complement each other very well. At what point in L.A., uh, Lonzo, did it feel like to you, my future probably isn't here? What was it once the talk came of Anthony Davis asked for a trade and those trade talks start, did your group of guys just say, did you feel it was inevitable, that it was inevitably – they were going to do this deal, or were you never quite sure whether you'd be there, you'd be somewhere else? Um, I mean, I never was 100% sure. I had a good feeling all-star break. I feel like the injury kind of like did it for me, like getting hurt twice in a row and not being able to pretty much prove myself, you know, that season. You know, we were trying to make the playoffs, and, you know, I, I couldn't help because I was hurt. So after that and then with the trade talks right after all-star break, I had a good feeling. Yeah. You know, having grown up, grown up in Chino Hills, Get playing at UCLA, getting drafted second overall by the Lakers. You know, when that draft order comes out when you're in college and you see, okay, it's set up pretty well for me, did it feel then like this is a storybook? Like this is like, you know, I'm going to spend my whole career in Southern California. When, when you're that, when you're coming out of UCLA and Magic is talking about, you're at a press conference, Magic's talking about your jersey being up in the, in the rafters someday with the greats there. Is that what it feels like at that age? For sure. It's like a like a dream come true, kind of like a movie, honestly. I mean, to be able just to stay home for your whole career, I'm pretty sure that's what every kid wants, you know, just being comfortable in the city. All my family's out there, and then you got the best point guard of all time. You know, talking about he's going to put your jersey in a Raptor. So, I mean, at that time, you know, I was just kind of like shocked that it just all planned out like that. The team last year in – you knew LeBron wanted Anthony Davis, and to get Anthony Davis, you have to trade good players, and you got to trade picks. The tension that existed in the locker room, do you think it was more like individual guys 
because everyone's going to handle that differently. There's very few guys at that age who've ever been told there's someone better than you or the whole thing's not built around you. It's it's jarring when you're young to be told, yeah, we're just going to move you out. There's yeah. somebody better. Did it impact the guys who were in the talks as a group or did certain guys take it differently? Like how did you handle that? Um, I can't speak for everybody, but I know as far as myself, um, just being a kid from out there and, and knowing how L.A. always pretty much has a star. Um, anytime you have a ten- chance to get a basically a top five guy in the league, you're going you're gonna to make that um, that trade. So for me, it was just motivation. Like, you know, that's why I want to be one year where nobody can touch me and I'm safe where I'm at. So for me, it was just, you know, it is what it is. Go to New Orleans, restart, um, fresh start, and just have a bigger role, honestly. You know, this week there was um, uh, our draft analyst, John Gavoni, was down in Australia and saw – uh, your brother Lamelo playing at a really high level there, and and you talk to NBA people, and he's in the conversation not just to be a top five pick in the draft, but but maybe compete for the number one mm-hmm. overall uh, spot. When you look at the path he's taking now, you know non traditional, right? Lithuania, Australia, you went the most traditional path, right? Southern California star, you go to UCLA, uh, you get drafted. How different? has it been for him and, and as, as an older brother do you feel like you've maybe lived through, through some things he has seen what you've gone through you've all gone through a lot together that that might make it uh, maybe the path a little easier for him you kind of cleared cleared the way a little bit on a lot of things whether it's going to be the kind of shoe deal he's going to do the kind of endorsements uh, all those things that you've had to kind of fight through and get to and and, and maybe there's a clear lane for him to, to walk into. Uh, for sure. That's part of being a big brother. You know, um, I take all the steps you got to take to get where you need to go and show them, you know, the way to get there. Um, obviously, it's a little different, but the goal is the same at the end. And then at the end of the day, you know, he can pick up my phone, hit the phone anytime. He can call me. Um, he wants to be, you know, number one pick. I was number two, so I know what it takes to get there. Basically, I tell him just, you know, keep your head on straight. You know, you're, you're young. You know, I don't have as many followers as he had, you know, at that age. But um, I kind of know what it's like to be in the spotlight all the time. So anything I can do to help him, I always talk to him, you know, make sure he's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And um, his, as far as his path, I mean, I, I didn't go overseas, but, you know, I know how to play basketball. I know what you're supposed to do, you know, when you're in between those lines. So as long as he keeps listening and do what he needs to do, you know, he has the talent. When you look back, he, he because he obviously he, he didn't have his college eligibility, he couldn't have gone – to play at UCLA or Duke, wherever, mm-hmm. you know, any of the choices you had. Do you like that you played that one year of college? Do you look at that and say, or would I have liked to have played in Australia at that age? Like, is one path preferable to the other? Um, I think everybody's situation is different. Like, for him, he couldn't. We we felt if he went to college, he wasn't going to be able to play. So it was like he had no choice besides, you know, Australia or China or something like that. Like, I talked to him. Actually, when we was out here, I talked to him, like, what do you want to do? And I was breaking it down to him, like, you only have so many, you know, options. For me, the option that made sense was to go to UCLA. Um, I felt like that pretty much shot me up to two where I needed to be. So um, I think everybody's just different. When your two brothers went to Lithuania, you're in your rookie year, and, I mean, they were young. I mean, they were young guys. Mm-hmm. And, and your dad was there, and, and it wasn't as if they were there alone. But – what was that like sort of seeing them go off and the concern you have? Cause that's, you know, that's not the easiest place in the world at that age to, you know, be a kid who grew up in Southern California to be off there playing mm-hmm. 
and having it all documented all the time. Like what, what was that like watching from however many 5,000 miles yeah. away? Um, I knew it was going to be tough, especially on a little one. Uh, he was like, I think 15, 16 at the time, you know, going over there that he's never been, you know, out of USA. So I know it's going to be tough for him. I wasn't too worried about Jello. Um, he's older, you know, he knows to take care of himself. So I wasn't worried about him. But um, I was very relieved to see that he got a chance to come back home and, you know, be kind of like a high school kid again, aspire. Um, he called me right when he <laughs> figured out he can come back, and he was really happy. So I was happy for him. LaMelo will be able to negotiate, you know, a big, you know, kind of a big traditional shoe deal, right? The, you know, the Nikes, the Adidas's, the Brain Jordan, all. He's got something that a lot of the college players who come out don't have, and that's everybody knows who he is, mm-hmm. right? And that helps a lot. And like you said, they knew who you were, and you go to UCLA, and you make it deeper on the NCAA tournament, and you get drafted by the Lakers. You were set up however you wanted to do a shoe deal. But for him, while his path isn't as traditional, like you said, he's in Australia, and other guys have been doing that. You know, RJ's down there now, and you know, there's been other guys who've who've done that. Mm-hmm. Is there part of you that because of what you went through with Big Baller and doing a shoe deal the way you did it, he, he's not going to have to deal with all of that stuff you had to that, that that's going to be a benefit for Definitely. him. Definitely. I mean, he gets to go through the real actual process. I mean, when I was coming out, we was just working on my shoe, Big Baller brand. That's what it was. You know, I didn't take any meetings with anybody else, and it was already kind of set for me. But for him, I tell him all the time, like, you know, this is your decision. You know, you're going to have a chance to go talk to the Adidas, go talk to – Nike, go talk to Puma, talk to everybody. I told him, take every meeting, and then whoever wants you the most, man, go with them. You know, um, I, I told him, make sure he takes control of his career now. Don't wait like I did. So, I mean, hopefully that helps him. He seems like he's, you know, taking it all in, and I'm excited for him. Looking back, how would you have done it differently? You said t- him taking control of it now the way you hadn't. Looking back, would you have gone and done all those for sure, meetings. for sure, 100%. I mean, that's that's part of it. You know, you work your whole life, you know, to be able to even have an opportunity to be sponsored by, you know, a shoe brand is, is amazing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I regret not taking anything because, you know, at the end of the day it was, you know, our family business and I was doing what I could, you know, to try to boost it. And it was actually, you know, pretty good when I was coming out of UCLA. So I don't regret anything. But as far as just living life and learning, you know, I'm glad that I can help him and give him feedback on what, you know, I already went through and what I feel like, you know, would be a better route for him. I mean, would you look at, I'm sure you hear this from people all the time, and I'm sure people who are trying to, whether it was agents who were recruiting you then or whoever saying, hey, Lonzo, like, you're going to get a rookie shoe deal that's unlike most because of your profile, your talent, you know, the Lakers being picked. I'm sure you had an idea of what those numbers might look like. Is that the hard part of it is that, was it that it cost you money in the end, or was it that maybe you didn't get to hear it all out and make a decision for yourself, Nike, Adidas, whomever, versus you know going down the big baller? Right. Um, I don't even think it's about the money. It's more about just being in the process. I mean, I'm the one out there running. You know, I'm the one out there playing. So just to have the option to to pick what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? So. For him, like I said, I want him to soak it all in and, and enjoy it, enjoy the process. You know, you talked about this and you went through it like you're trying to play as a rookie in the NBA with shoes that are just really test test shoes. They're not really, they haven't been through the rigors that all the shoes go through. 
and like you said, like they would break or they weren't, and you'd, you could wear them for a little while. And when you have to think at that time about, you're just trying to like, mostly you're adjusting to the NBA and all the things that go with it, but you got to keep thinking about like what's going on. Like, do I need to change this at the end mm-hmm. of the quarter or at halftime? When you look back at it, was that all a bigger, I don't know, maybe a bigger burden than it needed to be or like you're like, that took maybe that took more out of me than even it felt like then because it was something nobody else was having to deal with. Um, I mean, yeah, it was different. But at the same time, I mean, we were trying to build a brand. You know, they were my shoes, so I had to wear them. Um, there was no way I could play in the shoes we had summer league. There was no way those were going to make it to the um, to the NBA court during regular season. But you know, I'm grateful we got to link up with Brand Black and they got me a better shoe. But um, yeah, I mean, just just comfort. You know, I played in Kobe's my whole life, so. Switch it up right when I get to the, you know, pretty much the last stage. Um, it's a little different for me. And, you know, I don't make any excuses, though. You know, I don't regret anything I did. The lessons you have learned going through this, like trying to be the face of of a business and trying to be a – to me, there's a few positions in the in all pro sports. There's like quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, maybe like shortstop for the New York Yankees. And I think one of them is point guard for the Lakers. Mm-hmm because of magic and the history to have to deal with all that. And, and at the same time, try to be the face of this brand where it's not going well. You're trying to figure it out coming out on the other side of big baller. Like, what do you think you learned the most about this business about, like you said, sort of trying to take charge for yourself that you think you take the rest of the way with you? Um, I mean, it's a lot, especially for a 19 year old kid, you know, coming out, but um, you know, I've been put a lot on my shoulders, you know, for a long time now, um, in my family at least. So, I mean, I, I'm not gonna say I wasn't prepared for it, but um, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot, especially being in LA. You know, um, all they care about is championships, no matter what. So, I know that growing up there and just watching the Lakers play my whole life. So, um, be able to not even make the playoffs, you know, was tough for me because it was like I never really been losing since I played basketball. That was the first year I had a losing season. So, um. Just try to get back that summer and come back, and then I got hurt again. So it's tough mentally, you know, just staying focused and um, kind of knowing that you're not going to be somewhere that you wanted to be that you felt like you could have t- helped turn around. But it is what it is. Everything happens for a reason, and I feel that God put me in a position where I'm supposed to be at now. When you hear it from fans, whether you're on the court or you're out away from the arena, like, you know, you hear the like, hey, are you going to make the playoffs? Hey, are you going to stay healthy? That stuff. Would you get the big baller like, hey, I ordered them and they didn't come? Or did you have to hear like the business stuff too when people would um, – the kind of stuff players have to hear when they go anywhere? Um, I mean, here and there. I didn't, yeah. hear, I didn't hear too much. I mean, I felt like we got a lot of support when I was coming out. Um, a lot of people just believing in the brand, wanting it to work, you know, because it was something different. So I didn't get too many, too many negative things about it, um, honestly. You had on the, um, I guess the most recent Ball in the Family show, like there was that exchange with your dad that everyone, it kind of went viral and people mm-hmm. keep are talking about it. Because you've been on that, sh- the show has been part of your life and you've had your um, family dynamic play out in public in a way most people don't have to do with. There, that conversation you had is not unlike anybody talking in a lot of different ways to their father, their mother, or family, except there's not cameras on it. And right. you deal with it. Um, you have to deal with it in a different way. Did that one a couple of weeks ago feel like it 
I don't know, it, it got out there in a way that everybody was judging like that conversation and what, you know, how you were, you know, what your dad said about, you know, where your career was and, and the brand. Did that get reacted to differently than almost anything else you've done on that show, maybe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that was the most popular scene on the show. It was everywhere. Um, but I mean, it's part of life. You know, I'm growing up. You know, he, he has his ways. I have mine. And um, we just got into it. I mean, that's what fathers and sons do, you know, as time goes on. At the end of the day, it's always love at the end. You know, I know he loves me. I love him. But we're just not always going to agree on everything. And that's all that was. You, you had said in one of a uh, recent interview that you had talked to him. Maybe you hadn't talked as much since the trade. And I, I wonder if, like, you've said the big baller brand is for you, I think, a little bit in your rearview mirror now going forward. And, you know, you've changed agents and representation and you're with a new team. Do you think maybe it gets easier because the role that your dad will play going forward is like as your father and maybe less as a business partner, less as he was your coach for a long time. Mm -hmm. Do you think that might make it easier if it's just, it's just going to be more father, son, and maybe that simplifies some of those tensions that come out in a moment like that? Um, I mean, like I said, my dad's always been talking my whole life. So, I mean, it's nothing different to me. I think the, what makes it easier is that I, I'm controlling everything now. Like, you really can't tell me what to do. Like, it's my life, my career. You know, um, I'm making all the decisions now. You know, I chose to go to CAA. You know, um, so I don't know. I just think me becoming my, my own man is going to make it easier, honestly. Where, where did it feel like for you that's a decision – I'm going to make now, this is a route, route I'm taking. Was there a moment? Was it the, you know, I know Ramona Shelburne had done the story about Alan Foster's background, mm-hmm. who had been the business partner in Big Baller Brand, and I think brought to you some things about his past that you hadn't been aware of. For sure. And and there was money missing, and, and I think your manager had come to you and said, hey, we've got issues here, and then that started the down the road but w- w- was that around the time where you said I, I got to do this differently um, definitely there was two things there was that whole situation with the brand and then me having my daughter I feel like those two things kind of shaped me to what I am now you know it's a lot different than the kid I was last year so between those two I think that's that's what happened and now I am what I am that moment of becoming a father and, and the impact of that of having a daughter how did that redirect your thinking when it came to your, your professional life I'm um, just putting her first you know, I got to do certain things now to make sure her future is, you know, secure. Not just mine. Uh, not just my own family now. I got her with me all the time. So just making sure she has the easiest path possible. You know, I'm um, growing up and just doing everything she wants to put her mind to. So I'm trying to put her in a position to do that. And when you say meaning more to make sure that financially your responsibility is part of the thought, my responsibility is her financially and setting things up and more so than being in business with the rest, you know, my dad, but the rest of my family, is that, is that sort of thinking of, of just financially protecting yourself? For sure. I mean, you want your kid to grow up with no worries. Obviously, you know, there's going to be problems in life. Everybody has them, but my job is to make it as easy for her as possible. And um, that's what I'm trying to do. Your your mother, Tina, has had um, a difficult road here these last couple of years, suffered a stroke. And, and as, you know, people know, it's, it's a, you know, the rehabilitation and coming back from it, it takes a while. The stress that it's like people talk about your dad a lot. He's been more in the public eye, but the role your mom has played with, you know, with you and your, your brothers and her having to deal with, you know, obviously a lot of scrutiny 
some of these ups and downs and then her own, you know, what she's had to go through. It feels like it's been a little bit of an overlooked dynamic in your family of your relationship with her and, and, and sort of helping her through this. For sure. I mean, everybody sees my dad in the media, so you know, everybody thinks he has a big role and he obviously does in the family, but my mom is kind of the person who held everything together. I mean, if you ask anybody in our family, he's like, that's like the only person my dad listened to, honestly. So, you know, when she went down, it, it was tough um, for everybody. And, um, you know, that's the first time I see my dad cry. So, you know, it was tough in the family and it just hits you different. You know, obviously it's a, it's a long journey we're with her, you know, the whole time. We know she's strong, but, you know, it's tough, you know, just being with her the last couple of years, um, seeing everything she has to go through, you know, especially with us being in the media all the time. But, She's strong and she's, she's getting back. She rehabs, you know, five times a week. Um, she understands everything, which is great. Uh, now it's just about, you know, getting her movement back and being able to get the speed job. What was it like growing up in Chino Hills? Like before people saw you on the AAU circuit and your dad coaching and the, the, but like before that, what, what was it like growing up in that town? Uh, just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I mean, Small town, but, you know, I had a lot of friends there that just, a bunch of kids that just like to play. You know, I played in the street all the time, so you couldn't see no more. We had hills, you can just run for fun. We used to just race all the time. We had the backyard, everything you need. You had a basketball hoop, a pool. We had like a little mini theater in the house. And, uh, you know, my parents would cook pretty much the whole neighborhood. So, I mean, growing up, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot easier time, for sure. You know, you say talking about playing like, you really were on guys get on that travel circuit, man. It is, it is grueling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at that age, you know, you're like, I mean, you're not flying charter, right? You're going right. places, but playing like that, like, especially when you have brothers and they were younger. And so they probably maybe at times tagged along with you and your older friends. Was that as much fun as you had just like going around, whether it's like pickup basketball, football in the street, um, whatever it is like, where it was, there was no structure, there was no attention to it. You, you just played. Definitely, that's what it was. You just played. Um, it's a bunch of kids having fun, you know, in a safe environment. You know, it's amazing. So, um, like I said, looking back on it, you know, it was a great times. Uh, my brothers were with me <laughs> all the time. I mean, uh, I don't remember a day that we was ever separated. We used to always just be together. The, the bond you have with with your brothers and and you know, you grow up together, and all of a sudden you start. Like, you know, they go overseas and you're in college and you're in the Lakers and now, now you're in New Orleans. Uh, being the older brother, do you find those guys still leaning on you? Maybe even when, when you're not around every day, maybe leaning on you even more to reach out and say, like, Hey, how do I handle this? What, what do I, whether it's with, what do I tell dad on this? What do I tell my coach on this? Whatever it is that those guys maybe even need you more sometimes now than, than when you could take it for granted being around each other all the time? Um, for sure, especially for um, Melo. I feel like he needs me now more than ever. This is the most he's called me um, <laughs> since um, since, he's been, since we've been separated pretty much. So those guys, are, I'll help him with anything. You know, it doesn't have to be basketball. You can come to me for whatever. I mean, that's, that's what I'm here for. You know, they always looked up to me their whole life, so I don't think they'll stop now. What's the change? Like people who saw Melo play a few years ago and like you'd see the tapes and it was like, you know, he'd be taking like, you know, a 45 foot shot and it, it looked like he was young, but he was young, right? And it looked different. And now, like, in its maturity, it's, he's grown. 
uh, physically, probably, you know, in the way you grow at that age. How have you seen his game evolve? And, and when you all of a sudden you see him of a, of a kid now who is like on the cusp of, you know, being one, two, three, fourth pick in the draft. Yeah, I mean, just looking at his game, knowing him, um, much more mature. And then that growth spur helped him a lot. I mean, he shot up from like 5'10 to like, he taller than me, he about 6'7 now. So between that and the talent he already had, you know, he already had everything you need to pick and roll. He had the floater. Um, he could shoot. Now it was just about making sure he's making the right play every time. And I think that's what he's trying to focus on. Um, right now, I have him focusing on his turnovers. I know his first game he went there, he had a couple more than I would like. But um, just just staying on the right path, listening to his coaches, because he knows he's probably the most talented kid, you know, every time he steps on the court. But, you know, it's a lot more than talent. Everybody got talent in the league. How, how different was it for him to deal with? You were a little bit older dealing with the attention and the scrutiny that came to your family. Was it hardest on him to sort of figure out how to – maneuver through all that was that part of your responsibility with him because i can't imagine it was easy when you're the number two pick and you're going you're getting a ton of attention and it was times i don't know five ten whatever it was because of you were in the ball family Mm -hmm. um i think it was hardest on me just because i was the first one up you know i had to find out everything kind of we you know we, we ain't got nobody in my family that made it to the league or that far so i kind of went through everything first so he can he can dodge a few bullets that I already took for him, you know. So, I mean, as far as the followers go, I didn't have his following, you know, at his age. Um, he was on ESPN with 92 points and stuff. So, I mean, it's a little it's a little bit different for him, but at the end of the day, it's kind of the same. I mean, you know, the media doesn't change. The people don't change. You're going to have people that like you, people that hate you. That's just what it is. The relationship that um, you have now with teammates, like you walk in with the Lakers and – People are wondering, like, whether it was like your coach or a teammate, is Lavar going to be publicly critical of them? And like, I think guys in the league, maybe you had to deal with early on, like, you become a target, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. I have this opinion of his dad, but I'm going to go take it out on For Lonzo, sure. who hasn't sure. said or done anything. Um, is that how it felt then? And does it feel different now because you're in a different place in your career life? than when you were just this target when you walked in the league. Yeah, I mean, everybody always says, like, when they meet me and finally get to know who I am, like, we didn't think he was like this, you know, just because everything my dad does in the media. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I always tell people, you know, I'm my own person. Like, you know, don't don't group me with anybody. You know, whatever you see from me is what you get. And um, when people get to know me, it's always fine. But definitely just coming in the league, everybody was trying to come at me for sure. Was there any part of you that just said, like, at the time – can you just help make this a little bit easier on me? Because I'm the one who has to go face Westbrook tonight. I got to go face Steph Curry. Um, that's not necessarily helping me. Or was it just, hey, listen, this is who he is. I've dealt with it, and I'll figure it out. Like, was that was that ever a line you had to walk? No, because that's kind of all I knew. Ever since yeah. I played basketball, he's always said, you know, my son's the best. You know, you put anybody against him, you know, it don't really matter. So for me, it was just like, this is the same thing he said. It's just now he has cameras following him, right. honestly. So. It wasn't nothing new for me. Um, dealt with it the best way I knew how to, and I should just go out there and play. Leading an NBA team is tough. Guys are a lot older than you, more experienced. You know, you're 21 years old going into with, with a new team. What have you learned about what it takes to lead a group of men in the NBA, especially from your position? Um, I think you got to talk a lot more. Um, just from my first year to second year, I saw how Rondo 
you know, is always, always talking. Whether it's good or bad, he's always saying something. And that's what guys respond to. I mean, it's not nothing fake. It's just, it's just what it is. You know, you have to lead the team and, you know, the way I lead is kind of like by example how I led my whole life. Just go out there and do what I'm supposed to do and other guys fall in line. But at this level, you have to talk. I think that's the biggest thing. Rondo's, a, you know, he's, he's a really smart player. He sees things here. Like, um, anybody who's played with him, coached him, has said he's as, as intelligent of a player that they've been around in the league. Like, in what ways would you see that with him that you say, I can take something from how he sees the game and how he studies it? Um, I mean, I picked it up right when he got there, um, right when he got into the building. We watched film together and he pretty much broke down the whole quarter. I felt like he broke down the whole game. Um, just after that, that's when I knew he was a little different. And then just throughout the year, he was doing the same thing every film session, um, stopping, you know, practice to say something to the team. And uh, that's kind of how I picked it up. Like, this guy, is, he's different. He knows what he's talking about. And you can tell because the feedback on the other players, everybody was listening. It wasn't like he was just talking to be talking. He was truly trying to help the team. We know down the road how good the potential is for this Pelicans team. And the, it's a young team. You're still 21. Brandon Ingram is just, turned 22. just 22, yeah. right? And obviously Zion and, and the other rookies that are coming in. But this year with this group, you've been in the gym and you know, you know how good the West is and you know, you know, you've seen what it takes in this league to have, you know, the kind of talent that, that gets teams in the playoffs. But does this team this year maybe be better than, have a chance maybe even be better than people may anticipate? Um, I think so. Uh, but I'll tell everybody, take it one game at a time. You know, we in the West, there's no, there's no off nights, you know, even. When you think it's off night, it's not. You know, you can lose any night, and it's a long year. So, I mean, I think personally we had the pieces to do it and, and go to where we need to go. But um, my advice to them is just, you know, let's just take it step by step. You know, it's going to be ups, it's going to be downs, but let's just stay on the right path. And I think if we do that, we'll be okay. Lazo, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking time to sit down. Good luck with camp starting uh, next week, and, and I know we'll see you down the road this season, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest, Pelicans point guard Lonzo Ball. Be sure to listen and subscribe to the ESPN podcast, The Low Post with Zach Lowe, and The Hoop Collective, hosted by Brian Winterst. And of course, you can subscribe and listen to archived editions of the Woj Pod wherever you get your shows. We'll catch you next time.